Matthew 18, verses 12 through 20. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of his any of these little ones should be lost. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it find that their great shepherd has gone after them. What a week, am I right? I mean, we we had an election followed by these tense days where nobody was sure who was going to win. And even now, when we think we finally found a winner, the other side has yet to concede. You would think a a simple election would determine the outcome, but no, just like in the year 2000, we have court cases, only this time in multiple states. We have claims of voter fraud and voter suppression. And and the reason we have all of this is because men love power. If there was ever a time when when the world's idea of greatness was on display, it's in this moment. People are are grasping for control. And they will fight tooth and nail until they get their way. But this is how the world works, isn't it? Power belongs to the strong. It belongs to the mighty. And those who are meek, those who are humble, well, they don't stand a chance. We are now in our our third week of this fourth major discourse in Matthew's Gospel, a a discourse that was prompted by a question concerning power. The disciples had asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they did so out of their own desire to to see where each one of them ranked in, in Christ's kingdom. You see... These men had taken the world's approach when it came to political power. They didn't understand that the kingdom of God is not driven by strength or by might, but through one's humility and their willingness to suffer. Two weeks ago, we learned from Jesus that one must become like a little child to even enter into the kingdom. That they must realize that they are helpless and needy. That only God can rescue them from from their sins. 
But this humility is only the beginning of kingdom greatness. For such humbleness, it must eventually shape the person, helping them to to become this welcoming host for all the other little children that, that God chooses to include in his kingdom. And this is what we saw last week when Jesus spoke about hospitality within his kingdom. And he warned us that, that, that to reject one of these little ones was to be guilty of, of casting them out into the world where there would be many stumbling blocks out to damage their faith. As his, as his church, we are to, to welcome each little child and, and to help them. To, to guide them through the, the, the various obstacles that this world will, will set in front of them. We are, we are to teach them what it means to resist temptation and how to suffer for our king. But humility and hospitality are not enough. We must continue to grow, developing hearts of compassion and hearts of forgiveness. For what we will find is that, is that this kingdom of God is comprised of saints who are also sinners. And what did we sing? We are, we are prone to wander. There will be sheep who will, who will eventually become lost, either from our failure to welcome them in or, or by their own doing as they give in to the temptations of the world. And the question for us is this, what are we as God's little children going to do about it? How will we respond as a church when one of these little ones goes missing? This is where compassion and forgiveness are of utmost importance. And it is what we we will be focusing on these, these next two weeks, beginning this week with compassion. Now, what is compassion? Compassion can be defined as a a sympathetic pity or concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. It is to see a person in in great need and and to to meet that that need in their life. And as we'll see in this short parable, compassion means to go after the lost sheep. Look with me again at verse, verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost. In this very short parable, we see the heart of God, do we not? We, we see his great love and his concern for, for his sheep that have wandered. His compassion for these little ones is so great that he is willing to go to extreme lengths in order to bring the one back into the fold. He will leave the 99 on the hills to go search for the one. Think about that for the moment. As a shepherd, this is not a wise move. You don't leave 99% of your assets at risk in order to go after the 1% that you have lost. No. 
That's not good business. But that's the economy of the kingdom, and that's how the kingdom of God works. Each life is precious to God. If even one of God's little children is lost, he will do whatever it takes to bring that child back home. And what does Christ tell us? He, he says that the, the shepherd is happier about that, that one sheep than about the 99 who did not wander off. Jesus is trying to drive home his point. And, and that point is this, that he is unwilling to lose even one. After all, they are his little children. Think, think about that, that parent who's lost a son or, or a daughter. They're, they're, they're in a store or maybe they're at a park and they, and they turn their head just for a second and, and bam, their child is gone. When, when you are in that situation, what do you do as a parent? You, you cry out your child's name, right? You, you look frantically about, hoping to catch a, catch a glimpse of, of your child's head. You, you strain your ears, eager to hear your child's voice. You seek help from other parents, maybe from store management. You call the police. You are determined to not lose your child. You see, when a parent is in this situation, they will display a tenacity unlike any other. And it is because they, they love their child more than their own life. God has this same type of tenacity when it comes to his sheep. And so should his church. We should demonstrate the same kind of love and compassion for those who go astray. Just as Jesus goes after his sheep, so should we. But who are these sheep? Who are the ones that have, that have strayed and wandered? Given the context thus far, some of them are, are those who have not been welcomed into the kingdom. They are believers in Christ who have, who have left the fold in, in one form or, or another. Perhaps they were pushed out the door by other sheep. This is what we talked about last week. Though these people confess Christ, they have been tossed to the curb. And it is our duty as, as God's people to go after these ones who have been lost as if they were our own children. How are we doing at this? Do we see this happening at, at First Congregational Church of Allegan? Who are the lost sheep that we know about? Are we seeking them out? Do we have compassion for their lost state? Jesus does. And if we won't go after them, he will send someone else who will. But the context of Christ's message goes beyond of what we spoke of prior. For the lost are not just those who have left the church because they felt unwelcomed. But they are also those who are, who are living in sin. For as we continue to, to read, we will see that Jesus gives us precise instructions on how to go after these other kinds of lost sheep. Look at verse 15. 
If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You don't have to be outside of the church to be a lost sheep. For you can be just as lost sitting in these pews. For if you are living in a state of unrepentant sin, then you have deceived yourself about what it means to be a a little child of God. Now, now what we see laid out here in these verses was nothing new during Jesus' day. For there was a, a very similar practice that was carried out in the synagogues. And so what Jesus was telling his disciples would, would have been for them common knowledge. But this was such a, a good practice and one that was really rooted in the scriptures that Jesus made sure that, that this tradition would be carried over into his church. But why was this such a good practice? It's because it's based on compassion. Let's, let's take a look at this process and see what we can learn. Jesus, he, he lays out for us four steps in, in confronting sin within the kingdom. First step. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. It is in this first step of going to a person privately where we see love and compassion first applied. Why go to them privately? Why not make a big fuss when you've been wronged? I mean, after all, that's, that's what we do in our culture, is it not? Somebody does you wrong, and so you, you blast them over social media. You, you tell all your friends how, how awful they are. You, you make sure everybody knows how much of a low life that person is. That's not how things are done in God's kingdom. That, that's not how his, his children are to respond. Instead, they are, they are to show compassion towards the offender. And there is no compassion when you, when you slander a person, even if you are right. Rather, you should go to them privately first. And, and there is a reason that it is done this way. It is to save the honor and the dignity of that person. Before rumors start flying of something that may or, or may not have occurred, let us go to the individual first. Not only to hear them out, but to protect their reputation as well. Listen, if you are not willing to go to someone privately, then don't bring up the issue with the third party. For that's gossip. It's slander. And it is a sin in its own right. We as a church should not be talking behind a person's back or spreading rumors, even if they are true. And if you're not willing to talk to the person face to face, then you have no right to tell it to someone else. For that is not honoring of your brother or your sister. Instead, Christ commands us to go to them privately and allow them to hear your grievance. 
Perhaps what you perceived to be a sin was really just a misunderstanding. Or maybe it was a sin, but this person didn't realize that, that, that what they were doing was wrong. It, it was a sin done in ignorance. But even if the sin was done purposefully, we should still want to save that person's dignity. Remember, this, this is one of God's little children, and they should be treated as such. Going to them privately will, will grant him or her the chance to repent without having their name tarnished. And that's the goal, is it not? For their repentance, to win them back. Dear friends, true compassion goes to the, goes to the person for their sake and not for your own. Yes, you may have been wronged by that person, uh, but if you are only seeking justice for yourself, then you've gone in with the wrong motive. Allow God to handle the justice. You should con concern yourself with the spiritual state of your brother or sister in Christ. Leviticus 19 verse 17 says this, Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so, so, that, so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It is out of compassion that you must go to them. The goal is not for justice. Rather, it is to win them back. But winning them back is not always easy, is it? And if going to them privately doesn't lead to their repentance, then Jesus gives us a second step. Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. One of the hardest things that I ever had to do was to confront a good friend of mine who was committing adultery. This man wouldn't listen to his wife, and so she asked me and, and two other pastors to go and, and to speak to him. And it was only then that this man's heart turned. He eventually confessed to everything and, and began the process of repairing his marriage. You see, there, there are times when it takes someone who is outside and, and impartial to the situation to, to wake a person up. And this is what Jesus was speaking about when he said that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. These people who are, who are being brought into the situation are there in order to confirm that the person's heart is unrepentant. You see, where, whereas before the person's dignity was protected due to the one-on-one -on -one nature of the rebuke, here it becomes a little less private. Now, it's not public, mind you. It's not like the, the whole church is going to know about this. But it's put into the hands of, of confidants, trusted people who, who, who will not only confirm that the sin is real, but also to this person's refusal to listen. Remember, the, the, the goal is not to scandalize, but to avoid scandal. We, we are to go in with compassionate hearts, in an effort to win the person back. But sometimes even that is, is not good enough. 
And this leads to Christ's third step, which is to tell it to the church. The time for saving face has passed. And because of this person's stubborn heart, their sin must be made public. Now, now why is this done? Why not just be wronged and, and let it go? Look at, look at James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The reason that it is made public is because we do not give up on them. Listen, if, if the sin is just ignored, then that person is in danger of eternal judgment. For he has an unrepentant heart and is not trusting in Jesus, the one who can cover a multitude of sins. For he would not listen to the one, and he would not listen to the two or the three. And so out of a, out of a concern for this person's soul, he must now be brought before the church. And the idea is, is that the public shame would, would wake this person from their stupor. Just as Adam and Eve felt the shame of their sin as they realized they were naked, so the sin of this person will be laid bare before God and all his people. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, isn't this the opposite of compassion? Do we really need to, to, to shame this person? Let me ask you this. If it, if it was the middle of the night, a time when everyone else was asleep, and you saw a fire coming out of an, an apartment building, would you not pull the fire alarm in order to warn everyone else? Of course you would. Even, even though the, the, the noise from that alarm would wake every, everybody up and, and be uncomfortable for them to hear. To not do so would be unloving. My, my, my point is this, if we are willing to make a loud noise to save someone's physical life, and yet we do not feel the same way when it comes to someone's eternal state, then what are we doing? Brothers, sisters, there, there is a, a much worse fire for those who refuse to repent. And the compassionate thing to do is to do everything in your power to win the person back, even if it means making their sin public. But unfortunately, sometimes even that will not get a person to change their heart. And when this is the case, Jesus has a fourth and, and final step that we should take. Excommunication. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. What does this look like? In Scripture, we, we have a prime example. It's what we read in our first Scripture reading. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not, does not occur even among the pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, 
I am with you in spirit. And I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of, the, of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Again, we have to remind ourselves of why we are doing this. Is it to fulfill justice? No. It is for the sake of that sinner's soul. We, we, we don't cast people out unless it is a last resort. But we don't allow them to remain either if they refuse to repent. To do so would be unloving. And yet, when we do this, when we excommunicate, we, we do so in the hopes that this last step will finally wake that person up. That his or her soul might be saved. Now, how does this look in our context? What did Jesus say? Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, treat him as someone who is outside of the community. Someone who is no longer a believer in Jesus. This means a, a removal from membership. They will no longer have a say in how we function as a church. But it also means that, that we should be bringing the gospel to them. For even if they continue to, to claim that they believe in Jesus, their, their actions speak otherwise. Sometimes compassion doesn't look how we think it should look. Sometimes the, the only thing that can be done for a person is to do as Paul suggests, to hand them over to Satan. It's saying to them, look, we, we've reached out to you three times, once on an individual level, once again with, with just a few, and, and lastly as the whole church. You have laid your own bed and now you must lie in it. And while it, while it saddens us to, to excommunicate, excommunicate you, we love you too much not to do so. Four steps. Go to them privately. Bring two or three. Bring them before the church. Excommunication. These are the commands of Christ. How are we as First Congregational Church doing in this area of confronting one another with our sin? Are we so perfect that we need not bring these things up? Or have we been too shy, too fearful to go and look for the one? Are we so afraid of hurting one another's feelings that, 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 that we are willing to allow our brothers and sisters to remain lost? This is not what Christ has called us to do. And as difficult as church discipline is, it is the compassionate thing to do. And by the command of Jesus, it is our duty. And more than this, he has, he has given us the authority to carry this out. Look at the end of our passage, verses 18 through 20, verses that, that often get misquoted out of context. Remember, the context 
of these passages is church discipline. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. After Peter's confession, Jesus spoke similar words to his disciples where he gave them the keys to the kingdom. And that key was, was the good confession that Peter had made. That Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God. And with that key came, came the authority of the gospel message. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It is the, the gospel message that declares judgment upon people. It shows them their, their bondage to sin and offers them freedom in Christ. And it is that same gospel message that holds authority within God's church. Listen, church discipline is a gospel-driven practice. For it is by the message of Jesus Christ that we are compelled to watch over one another. And it is by the good news of our Lord that we make every effort to win our brother back. And when we do so, we are not alone in our efforts. For when we agree in church discipline, Jesus has promised to be behind our decision. Where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. When we follow what Christ commands us to do, then he will certainly have our backs. But he will only do so if we do this with compassion, out of a, out of a true love for, for those who have gone astray. After all, they are, they are his sheep, his little children. Showing true compassion is not always easy, but it is rewarding work for God's people. For when we go after the one, and when we find him, then there is great rejoicing in heaven above. And remember, it was Christ who went after you. So let us do the same for his other children. Let us pray. Father, we confess to you right now that, that we have not always been faithful to your command of seeking out your lost sheep. We lack the compassion that is, that is necessary. Aid us in this endeavor. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand the lost state of those who are unrepentant. And give us the courage to do what is in their best interest. To confront them in order to win them back. And give us a love and compassion for these people as well. Let us not do this out of malice, but out of a pure heart for their good. And give us the confidence that comes when we, when we know that your son is with us as we do these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.